Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any questions. The word of God for the people of God. Be to God. You may be seated. We make decisions all the time. Uh, some are difficult decisions. Uh, some are ones that we think about deeply, and other decisions are ones that they're almost automatic. Um, we really don't seem to put a lot of thought into them at all. They're, they're ones that sometimes we make without even thinking about it. And, uh, and so the process of making decisions uh, can be one that uh, exhausts our soul uh, to one that almost seems like it's easy. We don't really have to put any thought into it at all. But decision-making uh, has two ingredients. Um, when we make a decision about what we're going to do about something, uh, we take two things into account. We, we take facts, we take stuff that we know, stuff that we know to be true, and then we, we kind of pair that with assumptions, things that uh, we don't know entirely, we don't have all the information, but we have enough that we feel like we can move forward um, with, with a little bit of of at least confidence in, in what we're going to be doing. Now, the problem is, is when we have a lot more assumptions than we have facts, what happens? We can fail. Something that we, that we assume is going to be true is not really something that we can stand on. In fact, when we stand on too many assumptions, um, things can fall apart really quickly. And so one of the ways that uh, we deal with decision-making is we want to turn assumptions into facts. We want to take things that we're kind of sure are true, and we want to ask questions. And by asking questions, we decide if they're really true or not. And that can happen with some really good questions. So for the last several weeks, we've been talking about good questions, questions that the disciples, questions that some of the outcasts, some of the religious authorities, the people around Jesus will bring to Jesus to help them better understand the kingdom of God. Now, now some of these questions come out of the very depths of our heart and our soul about, Jesus, do you even care about us? And some questions are uh, really kind of about our spiritual life. How do we get to heaven? And and then today we get um, sort of a question from the scribe that we heard about, about what's, what's the first commandment? What's the heart of the issue? What's the number one thing we need to be thinking about what God wants from us? Now, 
A lot of times where we get into trouble as, as Christians is we ask these questions of God and we assume we know how God is going to answer. And the one thing that God is consistent about in the scriptures is God is a lot bigger than the ideas that we have about God. And when we assume that we know what God is going to say, then a lot of times the choices that we make look a lot more about what we want for our lives and not nearly enough about what God wants from our lives. Assumptions can get us into trouble. And so we should always be sure to ask good questions. So in 2019, um, I had a staff member come up to my office, maybe about uh, four or five o'clock in the evening. And, uh, and he, he came up and he said that there was a couple that came to the front door of the church seeing if we could help them uh, find some lodging, find a room for the night that they were passing through town. And he said, it's really bizarre. They're on bicycles and they said that they're traveling the world and are just passing through Alabaster. Now, y'all, I have heard a lot of stories about why somebody needs a room for the night. I've never heard about a world traveler coming through Alabaster at rush hour, riding on some bikes, but I'd immediately kind of dismiss that out of my mind as oftentimes when somebody needs help, uh, they will come up with a story about anything that they think that I need to hear in order to feel better about offering some help. So I immediately took that story and just kind of threw it off to the side. But I went downstairs and I met with this couple and, and it was very clear that they didn't have a place to lay their head in a very long while. They were uh, quite, quite traveled. Um, and, and really, they began to kind of share some different things about how they had uh, backpacked and hiked and biked through Europe and, and they had traveled all through South America and come up through Mexico and evaded the cartels through, uh, through some of Central America. And now here they are in Alabaster, Alabama, needing a place to stay for the night. And I didn't believe a word of it. But I didn't have to believe a word of it. Because the facts of what I knew in that moment was... Uh, here is a couple that is asking for help. That's a fact. And I have a way of helping them. That's a fact. The assumption about whether I think their story is true or not is not going to come into play at all. And so we got together and we ended up finding them a room in a local hotel and arranged for a way to get over to the hotel. And I got over there, paid for the room, uh, shook their hands for the evening, wished them well, and really kind of drove off thinking, I'm never going to see these people ever again. Because I'm assuming that this is going to go how this usually goes. But before I drove off, uh, this couple gave me a postcard. I have never gotten a postcard when buying anybody a hotel room for the night. And so I thought, well, that's a bit weird. Thanks. And they said, thank you so much for this incredible help, a big hug, and 
good luck from both of us. I was like, I've never got a thank you note before. It's kind of cool. Threw it on my passenger seat and drove back to the church and went on with the rest of my day. But later on in the day, when I got back into my truck, it was still sitting there on the passenger seat. And, and I thought to myself, that's kind of a weird postcard. I've never gotten a postcard. And so I started looking at it uh, just a little bit more closely. And, uh, and there's a website at the bottom of the postcard. And I thought, well, I'm going to go to that website. And I went to the website, and the pictures that are included on the front of the card uh, really are, in fact, pictures from Europe and South America and Patagonia and Central America and Mexico. And they do travel the world. In fact, uh, they, they have this idea that they want to travel the entire world entirely by human power. So whether it's hiking or biking or, uh, or uh, skiing or canoeing, uh, they desire to travel the entire world uh, by their very own power. And I was like, man, I just assumed they were telling me a story. And I called the hotel that we set them up at, and I asked them to transfer me to the room that we had gotten for them. And I got them on the phone, and I said, I looked at your postcard, and I couldn't believe what I saw. Can I take you out to breakfast in the morning and just hear your story? And I had just an incredible time getting to know them and hearing their story about everything that they've done and everything that they've seen. And I would have missed all of it if I had never wanted to ask the question and really find out if what I assumed about them was true or if I would actually believe them. In our scripture this morning, we get a very interesting moment in Jesus's life when we wrestle with assumptions and questions. So up to this point in the scriptures, we've been moving through kind of Jesus's journey in the gospel of Mark for about, this is our third week now. And, and so Jesus was finishing up his public ministry in Galilee last week. And, and it said that Jesus was about to start a very long journey. And that long journey was going to bring Jesus to Jerusalem where we find Jesus today. But since we've left Jesus off, uh, Jesus has been uh, flipping over tables. Jesus has been riding in on, on top of donkeys into town. Jesus has been busy. And, uh, and Jesus has been upsetting some folk. <laughs> There's a lot of people not happy that Jesus has come into town. And Jesus has come not only just to be there, but Jesus has been teaching. Jesus has been preaching. Jesus has been uh, bringing all of those uh, stories and lessons about the kingdom of God that, that drew the crowds in, in Galilee and, uh, and around the upper parts of where Jesus was raised and, and now bringing those thoughts and those teachings and those sermons about the kingdom of God to Jerusalem. And, and the crowds are starting to respond again. And, and all of a sudden, it seems like the entire city knows that Jesus is here and wants to come hear about him. And it is throwing the entire power dynamic in the city into chaos. And all of the religious authorities, they start really wrestling with this idea about who Jesus is and what he's teaching. 
and they start challenging Jesus. They start trying to trick Jesus. They try, try to have theological conversations that will trap Jesus and, and really try to discredit Jesus because they can't attack Jesus outright because of the crowds and the winning of the hearts and minds, but they have to prove that Jesus is not a good Jew. They have to prove that he's not a good person. And so they're trying to trap him with the scriptures. And so the, the headings that are in my Bible in, in some of the chapter or some of the paragraphs leading up to the one that we read today is Jesus is asked a hostile question about paying taxes. The next one is Jesus is asked a hostile question about the resurrection. There's a hostility, there's an animosity that comes into all of these questions that Jesus is being challenged with. And, and then we pick up the scripture today and it says that a scribe comes and asks Jesus, what is the first commandment out of all the commandments in scripture? What's the number one thing that we have to be thinking about? And Jesus takes that question about what's the first thing that we have to think about? And out of his divine generosity, instead of giving them the greatest commandment, he gives them uh, the first and the second. He gives them two things. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. And the scribe appears to have a change of heart and is won over by Jesus and says, you are right. He was like, that is what the scriptures say, and that is the heart of it all. In fact, all of the burnt offerings and all of the sacrifices, none of that matters if we get that piece wrong. And Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, I have a confession to make. Every other time I've read this scripture, I've made an assumption. I made an assumption that the scribe was coming with the same hostility, the same animosity that the Pharisees had, that the Sadducees had, that all the authorities before them, that this scribe was coming trying to trick Jesus. But when I read the scripture again, and I read a commentary that, that pointed me in a different direction to look at the very first part of the paragraph that we read, there doesn't seem to be the animosity that I've always assumed. There doesn't appear to be the, uh, the vindictiveness, the, the deception that we kind of get in the previous paragraphs. In fact, we have this scribe, one who transcribes the law, one who helps interpret the law, the Torah, for the people. And it says that he sees that Jesus answers these other questions well. He's not upset about how good Jesus is doing. He's impressed. It's that there's this one that, that has these incredible answers about the kingdom of God. I want to ask this really good question. That if I need to think about one thing, what is the heart of all of the commandments? What is the heart of what God wants from us? and the purpose that God has for us. And Jesus shares these two particular commandments, coming from what the Jewish faith calls the Shema, out of the book of Deuteronomy. 
and then adding the second commandment out of the book of Leviticus. That if you do anything else, love God with all of who you are. Not only who you are physically, but who you are in your innermost parts. And then love others as deeply and as holy as you love who God has created you to be. And that teaching becomes a model that all of the scribe, it, it all seems to click into place. And, and what's so funny is the scribe almost comes wanting a ranking. That if we take all of the commandments, what's the number one? That, that if I get anything right, I at least want the number one. And instead, Jesus doesn't give him a ranking of just the number one. He gives him one of the totality of all the other commandments. That if you get this one right, you don't even have to worry about all the others. They will fall into place. And y'all, that is a lot of commandments. We heard, we heard Ms. Jan up here talking to the children. Hundreds and hundreds of commandments. 613 commandments in the Hebrew Bible. Of the 613, 248 of them are written in the positive of you shall do this. You shall love the Lord your God. And then 365 of them are written in the negative that you shall not dishonor your mother and your father. You shall not murder. You shall not lie. Now, y'all, 613 rules are hard to keep. My mother will testify that I am not good at keeping many of them. In fact, nowadays, the Jewish faith says that it's impossible to keep all of the commandments. In fact, 77 of those 613 uh, have to be performed in the temple of Jerusalem. And the temple doesn't exist anymore. So, so it is literally impossible for a, a modern-day Jew to keep all of the commandments. And then some of them are divided out into specific functions. Some can only be observed in uh, the land of Israel. Some of them can only be deserved, uh, observed if you're a man or a woman. There's, there's all sorts of nuances that come into that. But the, the, but the belief is that it is hard to keep all of these. That it is impossible to keep all of these. And so if we were to break it down to say, hey, I at least need to prioritize. What's the, what's the number one thing you want me to work on? And in fact, Jesus gives us the totality of everything that captures the will and the love and the purpose that God has for us. That we can love deeply. That we can love completely. That we can fall so deeply in love with God that that overflows into our love for others and the love for who God has created us to be. That if we seek to just focus on God and, and we do not translate that love to others, it says that we can only half follow the commandments that God has given us. That we can only half fulfill even the first 10 that Moses brought down from the mountain. Now, the... the the Jewish belief that, 
that began into this particular ethic of following the commandments is, is at the time, uh, the Jewish faith believed um, that there was around 248 bones in the human body. And then you think about today that there's 365 days that we observe in our current calendar. And so a lot of modern Jewish belief when it comes to following the commandments uh, means that with every bone and every muscle and every tendon of our body, we love God. And that we try to do that every single day. And that is a tall, tall order. And so what comes to light out of all of this is the questions that we have with our daily lives about the decisions that we have to make, decisions regarding relationships, decisions regarding employment, the decisions that we have about how we're going to spend our time or our money or our day or our relationships. All of those questions that at times seem so very big and all those questions that seem so very automatic, they all come into this belief of how do we decide how we live our lives in faith? That what does this mean about what God wants from us. And all of those questions, as unique as they are to every single one of us that are here in this room and that are watching online, each of us has questions about what God desires of us. That why does God let things like this happen? That what does God want me to do with my relationships or my employment? What does God want from me? And Jesus gives us that perfect model that comes from such a good question. Asked by one desiring to come to know Jesus, what's the most important thing we can do? And Jesus says the only thing that we are called to do, the greatest thing, the thing on which all of the laws and all of the prophets hang upon these two commandments right here. All the rest of the scripture is all commentary on these two things. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The very heart of the kingdom of God becomes the question of how we answer all of those questions we come up with. What's loving to God? What's loving to others? What's honoring who God has created in me to be? And it helps some of those assumptions that we bring into those moments and helps turn them into facts because the number one fact that comes out of that is that the love of God transforms who we are and can transform this world. And so I think back to that couple. I still, I still stay connected to them on Instagram. I still message them every now and again. Right now they're living in Norway. And I think to myself, man... I sure got it right that morning. When I thought to myself, how could we take care of the need that they have? And I thought what we chose to do by helping them was, was honoring God. And we put them up for the night and we showed love to them. And I got to experience a little bit more of a connection with them over breakfast the next morning and an appreciation of where God placed me in that moment. But the problem is that, again, I'd fallen into the trap of making an assumption. Because as I left breakfast that morning, 
God didn't pat me on the back like I assumed that God was going to. In fact, God did a little bit of convicting. Almost to say, I'm glad you got to experience this moment. But what's happened to all the other people that you've put up for the night that you didn't ask for breakfast the next morning with? How many other stories have you walked past or driven around that you didn't think were interesting enough for your time? Because every single person we pass has a story. Every single person we pass has a purpose and has a love of God within them that has the potential to help change this world. And I was assuming in that moment that I got to pick and choose who I applied that love towards. When the reality is, the deeper questions that I have of God is, do I have to really love everybody? Even the ones that I don't always like? Even the ones that don't agree with me? Do I have to love the ones that don't look like they have interesting stories? Do I have to love the ones that go out of their way to hurt me and to tear me down? And God says, if you love me, then it's only natural to love others. And that becomes the greatest answer to all the questions we could ever put before God. Because I've had some moments where I was probably pretty tough to love, and yet God first showed it to me. May we show it to others and find a deeper love for who God has also created us to be, that we might see the greater love and work and grace of God in this world. Amen and amen. Will you pray with me this morning? Almighty and gracious God, we come to you to now, uh, Lord, knowing that above all you desire to be with us. God, you desire to love us, or desire for us to love you with as much passion, Lord, with, with no limits to the amount that you have first loved us. That, Lord, you have poured out grace and mercy. Lord, you have poured out forgiveness time and time again. And as often as we come, Lord, you are faithful to receive us. But, Lord, we recognize that we are not nearly as generous with our love for others or our love for ourselves. Lord, it feels so much more convenient to find opportunities where we can pick and choose. To where opportunities that we can insert ourselves and less of you. But, Lord, forgive us for those moments. Lord, place opportunities and relationships in our way that we might have time, that, that we might see a greater opportunity to pour out your love for others. Those blind spots that we thought we were doing well, Lord, you've showed us that we can still do more and that we can live more deeply into the heart that you have for us to love with every bone in our body, Lord, every muscle and tendon and every beat of our heart, Lord, that we can love every moment of every day. And Lord, more, more closely, begin to look like the love that you have for us. 
May that work begin today and this week as we do all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.